The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only. Hello everyone, I'm Chantal Wicks and this is Guts and Glory. and welcome to the Guts and Glory podcast. It is so nice to be back. I know we have taken a little bit of a hiatus. Um, I am very excited to bring to you today a wonderful guest, Peter Dobronowski, who is not only an IBD warrior, uh, you know, obviously because he's been diagnosed with IBD and is living that life like most of us, but also because of the path he has decided to take in life and what he has decided to dedicate his life to in terms of Uh, his educational studies, his career. Um, He is quite an inspiration and I am so glad to have the opportunity to allow him to be with us today to share his story. So welcome, Peter. Hi, Chantel. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. How are you doing in Ottawa? I see you're in Ottawa. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's cold right now. We got a a good dump of snow uh, past week and it's been uh, pretty frigid lately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in this COVID times, you know, but at least it's winter. I felt much worse when I was locked up during a pandemic in the summertime, you know, looking outside all the beautiful weather. I'm not a fan of the cold. Sorry to all of our mm. listeners who love the snow and snow activities, but I feel a lot less guilty being trapped in my house uh, during pandemic time when it's winter. True. Yeah, I feel the same. So, Peter, tell us about, let's start with your IBD. So, for our listeners, Peter has a lot to tell us, and I cannot wait for him to share everything, not just about his IBD journey, but um, his journey in terms of his education and what he's doing now. So, Peter, let's start with your IBD story. Let's start there. Sure. So, uh, my story sort of began a year before I was diagnosed, I would say. So, when I was about 14 years old, about the middle of high school. Uh, I got, uh, we went on a class field trip to, um, like a ranch and we drank uh, well water. And I think I picked up an infection from it. Uh, and they gave me some really, uh, harsh antibiotics. Um, my ankle actually swelled up pretty severely. Oh and I had to, I had to walk around school with an old man cane. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not uh, laughing at your discomfort. I don't mean that at all. But <laughs> um, and then uh, I guess the, the antibiotics worked, the infection went away. But a couple of months later, I developed the symptoms again that we're, uh, we're all very familiar with. And it was, it was uh, pretty severe. I, I was brought to the emergency um, unit of the Children's Hospital uh, out in BC. And uh, I was sedated, wheeled into that OR, and uh, I woke up later um, with a gastroenterologist sitting at the edge of my bed telling my parents that I have Crohn's disease. And, uh, you know, at the time, I wasn't too distraught or too scared or anything. I was, it was more the novelty of waking up in a hospital bed. that was kind of cool, but also, you know, having... <laughs> so to, you were 15 at the time. That was like a year later? Yeah, I was 15, yeah. So this infection that you had, this wasn't like mm-hmm. a... This wasn't like a two-week thing. Like, you were sick. Yeah, I missed a month of school. Wow. Uh, so it was, it was pretty severe, yeah. So a and lot you of had GI symptoms on. as well as the ankle problem. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So so woke up uh, on the hospital bed. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the doctor was counseling my parents about what sort of treatments they'd want me to take. Uh, what the options were. And one option was uh, steroids. 
um, which my parents were sort of against. Uh, I guess they knew or had that idea that they were pretty severe. Um, I had no idea what that meant. I thought it sounded cool uh, to be on right. stairs. You're thinking you're coming out jacked. Sorry? At 15, you're thinking you're coming out jacked. Exactly. That's exactly yes. what I thought, yeah. Uh, so I was a little bit let down when they went with the other option, which was ex exclusive enteral nutrition. So that meant uh, 30 days of nothing but drinking boost. So no food, just boost and water. Oh, God. Um, so, so. Um, That's hard for a human out of any age, but telling a 15-year-old boy that, I cannot imagine. You know, it's it's interesting because it's not used for adults. It's only used for uh, pediatrics, or at least um, like prescribed for for kids. Right. So kids are somehow able to adhere to it better than adults, right? You know what? Being a teacher, I will say, admittedly, that uh, children are much more resilient than adults. That's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> So what happened after that? So did that help? Like, obviously you were quite ill if you were in hospital at that time. Yep. Uh, that with uh, some more antibiotics on the side and some uh, the, the milder um, anti-inflammatory medication, the 5-ASA, uh, right. Pentaza at the time, which were basically like hockey pucks for me to... Yeah, and you were just taking yeah. these orally, right? Not No suppositories or enemas at this time? At that time, that's right, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it worked though. You know, it put me in remission. Um, I was uh, counting the days before finishing off those 30 days. It got pretty rough about halfway through. I was experimenting with different flavors. I was stuck with uh, strawberry and chocolate for a while. Then we branched it to the Ensure, which had like uh, butter pecan and all yeah, these other more flavors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, some of them were like, I'd let sit out in the sun for a little too long and they got all clumpy and... <laughs> <laughs> I was down to drinking like one or two of them a day. So I was pretty close to getting the, uh, the NG tube, the nasogastro, nasogastric tube. I was going to say you must have lost weight at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I was like a skeleton um, after it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it worked. It put the disease uh, in submission. Um, and then I was allowed to reintroduce food uh, throughout the rest of um, high school, but I still kept drinking Boost. Um, so I was used to it and I knew that my stomach agreed with it. So I became sort of known as the boost boy. Uh, in grade 11 and 12. You chose to continue drinking the boost after you no longer needed to drink the boost. Well, it, it was only being able to drink the boost. That was the problem. So right. you know, sitting, sitting um, at dinner with my family and they were all eating pizza and whatever. And I was oh my gosh, my heart hurts <laughs> for like yeah. young Peter. My, <laughs> <laughs> So you got through, you got, you were able to manage, you got through high school decently okay afterwards, yep. given, yep. and I say okay, I mean IBD okay. Uh, IBD okay, no more flares, but okay. there was still like urgency and stuff to, to use the washroom. And I had this sort of phobia of using the washroom at school. I guess I was worried of, I don't know, getting bullied or whatever. Uh, yeah, totally. That's like so, an adult thing. Who wants to go into the bathroom when you have IBD, like in a public yeah. place? <laughs> so, so fortunately, I, I lived a five-minute walk away from school. So if I had to go, I'd um, go home. Oh, um, you were one of those skipping class dudes because you had to yeah, go yeah. to the toilet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, but so, something mm -hmm. happens. You obviously, because your original diagnosis with is Crohn's, and I don't believe that's what you are 
officially diagnosed with now, right? Like your journey changed again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, grade 12 ended. Uh, then my uh, during that transition summer, um, I got accepted to um, a university. So Simon Fraser University, which I was really happy about. And uh, I picked up a part-time job um, to help pay for university and uh, I transitioned to adult care. So I exited right. the pediatric care and got a new doctor. Um, and when he saw all of my like clinical data and he scoped me again, uh, his opinion was different. He didn't think it was Crohn's disease. Not sure why. Uh, probably it, none of my inflammation was in the small intestine. It was all in the colon, uh, mm. but it was still patchy. It wasn't continuous inflammation. So a little bit uncertain. Uh, consistent with both um, diseases. Uh, so he checked uh, checked the indeterminate colitis box. So he was right. Yeah. So we're going to go that. I'm not sure, but it's something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so university started and I was uh, pretty, I was gunning for medicine. So I was hoping to become a doctor. So um, you're highly stressed. Uh, highly stressed. So the stress of the, the new job on top of the university life, uh, a lot more to manage, uh, and then even commuting. So I was used to that five minute commute to, uh, to high school, um, up to a one and a half hour, uh, like three uh, bus transfers sort of thing. Um, so now you're using public toilets, whether you like it or not. Uh, yeah, when they're available. Um, no, you're not going home. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And a commute is not easy. Like it's not easy on the body. It's not easy when you have IBD. Like just even the stress associated to how long my commute is and what I'm what's going to happen if I need to go to the bathroom. Exactly. And the, the biggest stress is not knowing. Um, and that adds to, to needing to use the washroom. At least it did for me. 100%. So, mm -hmm. so anyway, all of that stress sort of culminated. And about two months into my first semester, I had a much worse flare-up than I had when I was initially diagnosed. So um, I'd have to leave the classroom multiple times. Uh, during my midterms, I left up to 30 times to use the washroom. And every time I had to be, you know, raise my hand and be escorted, escorted exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of um, it's defeating and demeaning. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, having everyone sort of feeling like everyone's watching you leave so many times like what's wrong with them that sort of thing so yeah, this guy's cheating or he's having a breakdown one of the two <laughs> one of the yeah you've um, left the answers behind the toilet install number three <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so um it got to the point where you know that 30 times going to the washroom that adds up that's a lot of time that you're not spent writing uh, even when you're sitting down writing those exams you're not able to concentrate um, so you're at a, a pretty big disadvantage and I ended up doing really poorly in, um, some of those courses halfway through. And I realized that, you know, something's got to give. So I dropped one of my classes, uh, I think biology, which I was most interested in and, uh, stuck with, uh, chemistry, uh, calculus and, uh, some other courses. Oh, um, no offense, but that just sounds a little bit dreadful, just a little bit. It was with IBD. That is heavy. You needed to put something in there like golf. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I took an English course, which is actually really interesting. It was like science fiction for biology, and we read like. But still biology. Okay, that's yeah, good. It's yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I actually did well on that course, but 
Uh, the other ones I, I barely, basically barely passed and I was put on academic probation and it wasn't a, wasn't a good time. Now, I'm assuming, Peter, like for me, and I was diagnosed when I was in university at 20 um, mm-hmm. and I, I did not know. I don't know if it's I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know. I think that's a fair statement. I didn't know that um, my disease meant that I could have gotten support, like disability support through the school. Um, that, you know, I felt like I needed to carry all this weight and I had to manage as a human who was chronically ill, I had to still do all of the same things and have all the expectations that my healthy friends had to do, you know? I don't know if it was the same for you because like I'm, I'm hearing you say like you had to drop courses and then you were put on academic probation. I'm going to assume that this wasn't something that you shared with Fraser University that you were struggling with a chronic illness at the time. I'm assuming. Uh, no, at that time, I you know, I didn't tell many of my friends, even, um, right. let alone professors or anybody that really should have known. Um, and because of that, I wasn't made aware of those uh, sorts of services. Right. Um, and I think I, it's I, important. We've said to our listeners before, like especially our listeners in post-secondary education or going into post-secondary education, for example, or into the workplace or anywhere, really, um, it is embarrassing sometimes to admit something like this. I, I think it's just the, the stigma that's associated with IBD. Like if you put that aside, we're chronically ill. Um, we have an invisible illness that causes not just issues with the bathroom, but extra intestinal manifestations as well. Um, and there are supports there for people um, so that you're not having to do what I did in university. So you're not having to do what Peter did in university. Um, so I, I hope our listeners who are at that time in their life right now um, hear this loud and clear and don't suffer through like we did. <laughs> um, learn from us. Don't learn the hard way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when you had that next flare, it, it, you had to go into hospital? Uh, I, I I saw my gastroenterologist. Um, I wasn't, uh, yeah, I wasn't... Uh, put in the emergency room or anything like that. Um, but I remember being put on prednisone, really high doses of prednisone um, that helped with uh, the bleeding and the urgency a lot. Um, but I did have to withdraw completely from university. I felt like this is the sort of uncertainty that, you know, it's not going to go away uh, and the stress isn't going to go away. So um, what's my future going to look like uh, if I'm a doctor, let's say, if I can even become a doctor with, you know, barely passing my classes. So. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, withdrew. Um, and then it took some time to really figure out what I could possibly do and get my disease under control. Uh, fortunately, I guess around that time, my, my doctor said, well, uh, let's put you on this new medication because you're almost at the point that surgery needs to be considered uh, to remove the colon. So let's try uh, Humira. So the uh, yes. TNF alpha inhibitor. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I didn't have to struggle, I guess, too much with uh, all of the other the other drugs. Um, Did you hear that work with you? Within a month, I felt wow. better. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. And since okay. then, and <laughs> since then, I've been in remission. So that are drug, to me, it was a miracle. Is what? Yeah. <laughs> um, you, are you still taking Humira now? Uh, nope, nope. I came okay. off uh, at the beginning of last year. So how long were you on Humira in total? seven years. Wow. And then your doctor, like I'm assuming you made a decision, you and your doctor made a decision to try coming off of it to see how you would fare. 
I had um, every time he scoped me, I was in deep remission. So after that long of being in deep remission, he figured, well, you know, the costs are probably outweighing the benefits. So right. why not consider going back to the five ASA? So just a week. Uh, what was that well. decision like for you? Like, did you like was was that a decision you were easily able to make? I realized with Humira, you're sticking yourself all the time, so you're probably like, yeah, like no more needles. But in terms of just the I, you know, coming from yeah. my perspective, I've, I'm on my second biologic. I've been through all the five ASAs, prednisone on and off for like six or seven years. Um, you know, the methotrexates, I was on Humira, didn't work. I'm on Antibio. I've been through the ringer and I, I've never been into a situation where, by the way, I'm so excited if that ever happens to me one day, where my GI will look at me and say, you know, I think we can try taking you off a medication because, you know, your colon looks beautiful, you know? Um, how was that? Was that a decision that you were like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm so excited? Or did it come with anxiety and worry of possibility in the future? The first time he planted the seed, I was very resistant. I felt like this is working. This has given me my life back. I like, don't know. Why is yeah. it so <laughs> good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's a, I feel like that's how I would react to like pardon. Yeah. Like, Okay. Yeah. It took about a year, really. Um, oh, okay. It wasn't like a, okay, no. we're good. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, like logistically, it's sort of a, a difficult medication to, to keep up with. Um, yes, Compared to, yeah. So uh, that along with sort of feeling like I had supported myself in so many other different ways, uh, like stress management and lifestyle things, and just feeling like I had a good handle on everything non-medically that right. maybe you know maybe this is the time right so. that's an important note i think for our listeners as well i think some of us when we're diagnosed with an illness we just assume that medicine is going to fix us and i am a strong believer and i i'm not discrediting anybody out there listening who medicine has been their one thing that has fixed them but i am a strong believer in it's it's a it needs to be a holistic approach and unfortunately we've been dealt these cards of being chronically ill so that means we also need to take control of our life and our livelihoods and make sure we make appropriate decisions. And I'm so glad that you mentioned stress management because I think sometimes we push that under the rug and we don't realize that that is such a key component, uh, even for people who are healthy, like stress is awful. It does awful things to the body, right? Not just the mind. So you agreed after about a year. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were on Humira, you mentioned your, you, you went from Humira to 5 ASAs. Were you taking Humira and 5 ASAs at the same time? Or as Humira left, 5 ASAs were introduced again? There's a little bit of overlap at the beginning. And, okay. then, um, and then for a while, just the Humira, probably right. for about five years. And then it was a, a very strict uh, transition from just Humira to just 5 ASA. Right. Yeah. Okay. And obviously completely monitored by your GI. It wasn't just something you were like, and today's the day I'm going to do this. Of course. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you've been off Humira. How long did you say? Uh, about a year and a half. And you're still on the 5ASA? Yeah. yeah. So are you back on, are you back on Pentasa? Not Pentasa. Uh, Mesovan. Yeah. Yeah. Mesovan. So are you doing four of those nice big old pills a day? Just two. Oh, yeah. wow. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. 
And you have you have to do no suppositories, no enemas, or is that something that if you have uh, complications, if you're noticing any symptoms? Uh, no, um, that's not really on the radar right now. There there was a time, so during my uh, worst flare-up um, uh, back in undergrad, uh, along with the prednisone, yeah, they gave me those those uh, whatever they are. The equivalent oh, the misalamine, yeah, misalamine. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, you know, I, I felt like that was the the worst part of living with the disease. I mean, it, like do that, you mean? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I oh, felt. Uh, I... <sighs> I felt at my lowest. I think I felt like like this. Well, I is think the it's a combination thing. of things too, right? Like you're at your sickest point at that mm -hmm. at that moment, yeah. right? You yeah. were so vulnerable in all elements of your life, and then you're being asked to, you know, put a pill in your butt or put liquid in your butt or whatever the case may be at the time, right? Um, and it's not easy for people. Like I, I. I would say maybe the first couple of times that I had to do this, I was like, this is so foreign and this is outrageous. And what am I doing? And I hope I never want to admit that I've ever had to do this. Um, I quickly got over that though. Um, and then it became like, and here we go. Like I had to, like, I'd make announcements when I'd be visiting family and like, you know, if I'm sleeping over, like I have to go into the bathroom to put in my butt pill. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, it just I became... Love it. I went the opposite, like, hey, yeah. here we go. So, and then yeah. I would show this is what it looks like. And like, <laughs> this is the, you know, I, I, yeah, I definitely became, um, I remember meeting someone, obviously this was when I was younger. So before my husband, but uh, meeting someone and, and, and uh, having to be like, you know, I'm sorry, like I, I need to go to the bathroom and I'm, before we go to bed, I need to put my pill in my butt. Um, <laughs> and like, cause whatever, like you have, you're going to have to accept it. This is the way that it is. Um, but yeah, no, I, it is not an easy thing for people. It's, 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 it's not even just like easy to physically do. Like it definitely takes some practice. Um, and it's always introduced when you are at your worst, like, cause obviously why would they be giving you something if you don't need it? Right. Um, yeah, I totally, I, I was definitely, I remember those times. I remember the first time I was in the hospital and the nurse came in and said, okay, like you're going to start, it was an enema at that time. You're going to start this enema. Like, you know, you just put this in and just like squeeze it and hold it in. And I thought it was going to be like one of those ones that cleared out of me. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not that actually it stays inside. It gets absorbed. I never had issues that way. But, and I remember being like looking at her and I'm young, I'm 20. And she was like, do you want me to do it for you? And I was like, yes. Like, which side do I turn on the left or the right? Like, <laughs> you know? and, then, and then I got used to it and thank goodness because now poor nurses, you know, bless them, bless our nurses, by the way, who do all of these wonderful things for us. Yeah. Um, so you, you're, you're good. You're under control. Now I, we're going to switch into talking about your journey in terms of uh, professional and education. You did share that you were at Fraser University and you were following at the time medicine, and then you had to leave, unfortunately, due to uh, your complications with IBD. Then you became a journeyman and, and, and then there was other stuff and I'm going to ruin the ending for everyone. I'm just going to let everybody know that he is currently a second year PhD student at the university of Ottawa, uh, in the microbiology and immunology area of studies. Mm -hmm. So to explain the, the, I'm going to call it a very winding road with multiple paths that led you back 
to what seems like your original plan? More, more or less. Yeah, it's it's yeah. been a, a pretty, uh, pretty, yeah, windy and story, as you said. Um, so, yeah, uh, I was at my worst, uh, I guess, starting there. And I didn't know what I could possibly do with with this amount of stress. So I figured the trades would be a safe option. Uh, so I applied for uh, an electrical pre-apprenticeship. Um, and uh, I got accepted into the program. I, uh, in my interview, they said that I did the best on the entrance exam. So that boosted my confidence. I still had some sort of academic potential. You were clearly and, a badass in all senses. <laughs> uh, so the, the program went, went great. Um, I, I loved the work. It was super cool. So uh, part of the, the program was, um, uh, yeah, definitely a, a work placement, which counted for my first year of the apprenticeship. So I, I didn't become a full fledged journeyman with the red seal, but uh, the work I did, yeah, was awesome. Uh, on boom lifts, you know, installing uh, crazy cables up uh, 20 meters up in the air. So lots of heights, uh, drilling into concrete. It was it was just awesome. I really looked forward to every day. Um, but I talked to one of the journeymen that was there, uh, Dave, and uh, he asked shout why. Out Dave. Yeah, shout out Dave. And he uh, he asked me, you know, why why did you pick the trades? And I said, well. Um, seemed like I have ulcerative colitis and uh, I feel like I needed a career or profession that had less stress. And he said in his infinite wisdom, well, there's stress in every job, even the trades. So when you go through every year of your exams and you qualify for the Red Seal, you know, there's going to be stress everywhere. When you're working full time as a journeyman, there's going to be stress. So you should think about that. I'm assuming uh, so, he was picking up on the fact that you were obviously good at what you were doing and you enjoyed it, but that your calling might have been somewhere else. As well as not to let the IBD hold me back. Look at intuitive Dave. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he also gave me some other advice like uh, carrot juice and smoking cigarettes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I love Dave already. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't follow all of his advice, but um, yeah, it definitely made me reconsider. So I applied uh, to return to university and very fortunately, uh, they let me back in. Um, yeah, I just want to pause right here for a second because if yeah. the listeners are not processing this, I need people to process this, especially IBD warriors. You had to drop out of university. Um, because of your circumstances and of your health because of IBD. And I, the loudest message that I want people to hear right now is that you did not give up. You did not say, I tried university, I couldn't do it because of my IBD, this is it. You went and picked something else. I'm gonna try this. And then yet again, you pick something else again. Like there, you know, I think this is the strongest message. And I realize that if people are listening right now and they're sitting here and they're thinking that they're in a dark place and, uh, you know, they're in a tough place right now and they don't think they can do it, you know, believing in ourselves a little bit more. And I think one of the key things, I know this is one of your key messages as well, is meeting new people and sharing your experiences. Um you may get some unsolicited advice like carrot juice and smoking, but uh, you may also like the empathy that the people that you will meet and some of the, of the empathetic, you know, the empathy that you will feel from others and look at Dave, look what Dave did for you. Now you are, in, so now you're back. Universities let you in. Same Fraser University. 
Uh, same university. Yep. And different program. Uh, my my direction was a little bit different. So rather than pursuing medicine, which you know there's still that degree of uncertainty, I wasn't sure if you know there is a guarantee that it was possible for me. I considered something else that was uh, potentially more beneficial for the IBD community. So at that point, I felt like diet was intimately linked to the disease, and if I could sort of help people um, with their diet, then dietetics would be a good option. Right. Uh, or the best option uh, from what I was aware. So I, I took all of the prerequisite courses um, necessary to apply to that dietetics program, which would have been at a different university, the University of British Columbia, which was the only dietetics program in BC. Um, and so uh, I started off very slow. I took one course uh, at a time. Uh, so I got to retake that biology, which I loved. It was just so awesome being able to focus on uh, on one course without having to sort of overly stress about how the disease is going to, you know, potentially cause a flare, uh, and just you know dig into the material. During the first midterm, though, that was you know the first test, and I did Sass. have to use the washroom. Yeah, and I did have to use the washroom. So I asked. But not thirty people, times. I'm sorry. Not thirty times. Not thirty times. Just once. <laughs> um, so I asked the uh, the professor to uh, escort me, and and I told her um, I have ulcerative colitis. She sort of gave me this look, uh, but you know she was a very like warm and, and sweet uh, lady, and she told me, "Have you registered with the Center for Students with Disabilities?" Bless like, this professor, even though she gave you that facial expression. Yeah, but I have heard a, heard to thank uh, uh, Dr. Mladenovic. Um, yes. So, so uh, I registered, and after Is that, that midterm, it, honestly, from that professor, exactly, yeah. Amazing. So Terrible I energy. registered, yeah. And for every exam after that, I was allowed to uh, write my exam separately in a room that was right next to a washroom. So oh. nobody watching me uh, get up uh, and walk to the washroom every time. Nobody to escort me. It was, it was, uh, it was awesome. Um, this is a hashtag game changer, literally. Literally. And yeah. I think that's the reason I was able to actually continue. Oh. Um, and uh, and I did exceptionally well. I rescued my GPA. I increased <laughs> my, my <laughs> course load. And, yeah, oh, it was dismal. <laughs> um, I love it. So, I rescued my GPA. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, you know, my, my, I finished all the pre prereqs at, uh, at that university. And I sat down at a uh, um, like a panel discussion of dietitians talking about the, the program and what it's like to be a dietitian. And uh, yeah. <laughs> decided it wasn't for you because that's yeah. not where you are now. When you went to dietitian, just now, I was like, wait, what? Like, yeah. There's more wine in this world than I thought. Um, so I, I mean, I loved all the material that I had learned up to that point, but I felt like. Um, uh, I guess clinical dietetics was not the route that I wanted to go. And regardless, um, I think that knowledge helps you. Like all knowledge is good knowledge. Like knowing is knowing. Like yes, and as uh, I still did end up transferring to UBC, and I continued uh, and finished a degree in uh, nutritional science. And that information itself, I feel like, in, it enabled me to 
you know, make those conscious decisions uh, day to day about what I should eat, what to be conscious about, whether or not there are uh, additives or certain foods that might disagree with me. So having that background knowledge, I think, really helped me. So it didn't only just make you aware as a professional, it made you aware as somebody with IBD. Uh, yeah. Like it helped yeah. your personal life. It's helping your inform your professional life as well, obviously, mm -hmm. as you move forward. Mm -hmm. So, so you decided then that you were going to do what? Uh, yeah. So my my last year of undergrad, uh, you know, it was wrapping up and I did uh, really well in one of my courses. Uh, the professor sort of noticed and she said that this, you've done better than anybody I've ever seen in this course. Um, and the, we, <laughs> we, we spoke more uh, after that. So um, I like the I like talking to her. She was a good mentor, uh, Debbie Zibrick. And uh, she, hey, she gave me some advice to potentially pursue graduate school, um, which okay. actually echoed uh, advice I, I received uh, in grade 12 from another teacher who said that I grasped concepts pretty quickly and that I, I should consider grad school. And Was grad uh, school something that you were considering on your own once you went back to university the second time? Or was it really not something in no, your mind? Not at that time, no. Okay. So that was sort of a, a new new idea um yeah so again around that time that's when i began looking for different ways to get involved with the ibd community so i was sort of trying to set myself up set my career up to make an impact but to actually uh meet other people uh was new so i didn't know at that know time anybody. did you know anybody really with ibd or no uh no nobody so so this starts you down the path that allowed us to meet eventually. Uh -huh. You yeah. started volunteering with Crohn's and Colitis Canada. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so uh, you did a lot out in the, the British Columbia area, right? So you've been chapter president and you've done logistics captain at the Gutsy Walks. You know, I feel like our volunteer stories are, are, are quite similar to each other yeah. in that yeah. way. Um, but, you know, of course, like all the titles and things that we've done as a volunteer, I think for me, the biggest takeaway is the people that I met and the relationships that I formed with others who had IBD. I agree for many reasons. Like yeah. there's there's nothing better than really being able to, to connect with someone uh, just by virtue of having a shared illness because um, there's, there's so much you automatically get, right? Yeah, that support, um, right? And, and I, I've said many times, like that support that you get from, it's, it, we're not saying that the people in your life are not supporting you because I'm sure you have people who are supporting you. I definitely have people in my corner supporting me and still do, but it's a different support and it's a, it's a different connection when you meet somebody who has, has lived experiences that you have that you really can't put into words. I can try to explain as much as possible to my husband, to my parents, what it's like to live with IBD. Um, but until you meet someone with IBD who you just have to say one thing and they just, yeah, like, you know, and then they share their experience. It's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's comforting. It's, it's, it, it gave me strength and, you know, 
belief in myself and it gave me comfort and it gave me confidence. Like there was so much that I got. And this is, you know, after meeting somebody for five minutes with IBD and having a conversation with them, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's instant and it's almost electric. It's uh, yeah. Electric. Good term. Yeah. Cause there's so much involved. There's so much, yeah. uh, So much overlap with, with shared experiences. And, but to, to add to that, I found that the more meetings you go to, like the chapter meetings, uh, the more diverse, more diversity you see in the people with IBD. And there could be there could be people with even more overlap in addition to just having a shared diagnosis, Um, because there are, you know, unique experiences that we all sort of have um, more or less unique because, you know, they're still going to be shared. But. And it's one thing to read about IBD and those types of things. And like, that's definitely knowledge and understanding your body and, and, you know, possible triggers and all those things. But the knowledge that you get through other people's experiences, things that they say and things that they've experienced, like they've experienced and, you know, things that they've been told, it's really eye-opening to hear all of that extra knowledge as well. Now, granted, we're, IBD, I think, is one of those diseases that's so individualized. I would definitely not want to be GI because, like, I don't even, you know, one person with IBD and then the next patient comes in with IBD, completely different. Um but it is really nice to take it to hear all of that experience. And these are these are friendships that you make. And even if it, these are just the people that you see, like a lot of my in my IBD friends in the Crohn's and Colitis world um, with Crohn's and Colitis Canada, I see them once a month at the chapter meetings, you know, and that's it. We don't talk in between, but it's like we've been friends since we were two, you know, <laughs> like, but I think when you're sharing experiences of illness with somebody like that's a that's a deeper that's a connection much deeper than many of the connections you'll have with other people. My, uh, one of my members from my old chapter, the Fraser Valley West chapter, uh, Krista, she said that it's like we're uh, a family, um, uh, you know, uh, that we share a diagnosis with rather than blood. Um, 100%. And, and that's exactly what it feels like, like family. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to, I don't know, if, I don't think Peter's going to say this, so I'm going to say it anyways. Um, so he's done some fantastic things. So, you know, uh, Crohn's and Colitis Canada puts, uh, does awards every year. Uh, and Peter is the recipient of the Unsung Hero Award in 2018? 19. 19. Oh yeah, most recently. Uh, and at that same time, you also won the AbbVie Scholarship, correct? Mm-hmm. One of the Abbey Scholarships. I know they do a few. Um, so I know we've talked about the Abbey Scholarship on previous episodes, but I just want to remind everybody um, that there are scholarships out there for people with IBD who are especially dedicating their uh, studies, uh, focusing around the world uh, of IBD. So um, this is this is a scholarship, guys. You know what that means? That means they give you money so you can go to school and do the things you need to do. Okay. Um, so what worthwhile applying when you see the Abbey scholarship come up and can you tell us about your unsung hero award? Um, tell us yeah, about it. That was a surprise. Uh, uh, I mean, up to that oh, point, uh, like Chantel, you were saying that I, I was, you know, involved in lots of different positions and roles within the chapter. I was the chapter president for five years and I tried to, you know, transform the chapter to become more, uh, supportive rather than strictly fundraising. So um, I tried to help foster that sort of environment and uh, I think uh, that helped. 
Uh, and then I also tried to sort of diversify what we were trying to accomplish. I introduced a, uh, a diversity outreach program. So I recognized that there was sort of this unmet need in the uh, Indo-Canadian community. And I recruited a volunteer to help sort of uh, get into that and see what we Can could do. Can you tell us more about that, please? Because I'm very interested in that, that you saw a, a specific need in the Indo-Canadian. Can you t- talk to us about that for yeah. our listeners outside of Canada? What does this mean? What are you referring to? Um, yeah, so we, uh, I was on a chapter president call and we were uh, being shown a presentation about the demographics of our volunteers and it was like 99% Caucasian. And if the rate of IBD is one in 150 at that time, and that doesn't Asian, fit the population. Uh, sorry? That doesn't fit the population. Exactly. Uh, and rates of IBD are actually like highest in Indo Canadian uh, immigrants. And the uh, region that I was in, Surrey, is about 30% Indo-Canadian. So, you know, are, are right. we actually helping them? Like, we have all of these resources. Um, what barriers are there? So, uh, you know, I yeah, I, I started this this role uh, with uh, another volunteer, Nebros, and she um, brought along her friend, Annika, and there's the three of us uh, talking to, setting up meetings, talking to uh, CEOs of different companies, uh, one of them was diversity, which sort of sought to help bring different resources uh, to um, immigrants. So that was one strategy. Um, another was talking to one of the South Asian gastroenterologists in Surrey and recognizing that there are definitely a lot of barriers. There isn't even a word for IBD uh, in um, uh, Punjabi. So, wow. and so there are all sorts of barriers that you wouldn't really think of. So. We uh, had a lot of conversations. We met with uh, some elders over at Cha, uh, talking about um, uh, IBD and what they should know. And um, some of their nieces and nephews had it. So, you know, it's it's there, it's present in the community. And we ended up uh, putting all of what we found into a report that we sent to the national managers. Um, and we're continuing to see what we can really do. Um, I'm just, I'm out here. I, I moved away, so it's sort of about ten minutes. And you're now in Ottawa, chasing yeah. your educational dream. Um, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's yeah. I think it, and you know the the 2000 was it the 2018 the study in IBD report that Crohn's and has put out. You know, it, there's it's clear there's clear evidence that suggests like people who don't have history of IBD in their family they move to Canada, and then their first generation born children. Um, are later in life being diagnosed with IBD, right? No history in the family. So, you know, see, seeing you talk about there's a population here that's being underserved, um, I can't even imagine what that must look like in a place like Toronto, uh, you know, where I am, where the diversity is even more, which makes it a beautiful, that's what makes it a beautiful city, of course, right? But um, so this, that you're, what you're doing, this whole study that you've been talking about, this is continuous, this is ongoing. So, uh, so myself, so I started my PhD and uh, Nevros started, uh, she got accepted into a pharmacy uh, uh, doctor program. Uh, so there was a transition period where we were focused on our studies. So a little bit on the, the back burner, but now that we've adjusted, we're uh, back into it. So we're trying to find out what else we can do and work we where we can go from now so this is two brilliant minds working on a brilliant cause a lot of brilliance happening sure so you are now at the university of ottawa so you've transitioned to central canada um which is 
you know, um, no disrespect to Ottawa or to Toronto, like where I am in these places, but I think BC's, the landscape's a little bit prettier. That's for sure. <laughs> and I know you mentioned that you miss Vancouver. I don't blame you, my friend. Ottawa's winters are drastically different than Vancouver's winter. <laughs> so, drastically, yep. Drastically, yes. Um, so now this is where you are now. So you're a second year PhD student. Tell us about what you're doing, who you're working with, what your focus is, because there's definitely um, a nutritional aspect mm -hmm. in a way coming mm -hmm. in again, right? All this, this, it's beautiful, all coming together in one kaleidoscope in the center. That's what this is. <laughs> yeah, so my, my undergrad was in nutritional science. My master's was studying the microbiome of a, a mouse model of Crohn's disease. Uh, so the microbiome is the, uh, I guess, collection of bacteria and the activity of those bacteria in our intestines. So there's trillions of bacteria, they're all doing different things, and they have been very heavily implicated in the uh, onset of both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. So we had a mouse model that, mouse model that was trying to sort of disentangle all of that complexity. But none of that really compares to the complexity uh, in a human gut, mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously more important. Um, <laughs> So I made a, a connection with Dr. Elaine Stinzi out here in Ottawa, and he uh, accepted me into his lab. Uh, he told me, or he presented the option of a project being studying the effects of personalized resistant starch as an adjuvant therapy in pediatric inflammatory bowel disease. I got pediatric and IBD is basically okay. what I got there. And starch. So, I got so, starch. <laughs> <laughs> So what we're doing so is basically this means yeah uh, so we're able to sort of take stool samples so poop samples from kids mm -hmm. we can grow up those bacteria in a dish with different types of starch you mean like age them uh, see how the bacteria eat the starch okay and what they do, uh, in response. do you watch them you study yeah. them how do yeah. they behave. Uh, yeah. Are they okay. doing things that, you know, we want them to do for IBD or not? Right. Um, and there's uh, a, a bunch of different starches and this is special starch. So, you know, you're eating pasta, you're eating the potato, there's lots of starch, you're digesting that, you're absorbing it for energy. But there's sometimes a small fraction of that that doesn't get digested. It's too hard for our body's enzymes to degrade. And hence so that, it ends up in your food. Exactly. And on its way, uh, you know, uh, exiting your body, uh, it's interacting with all of the bacteria in your colon and small intestine. So are there bacteria that can actually access that starch? Well, yes. Do people with IBD have those bacteria? That's another question. So we're trying to find out if they, uh, the bacteria are fermenting the starch into beneficial uh, metabolites, so compounds, things that might be in themselves anti-inflammatory. Because that's what we want to happen, ultimately. Exactly, yeah. And is this what, do we presume that this is what help it happens in healthy people? There's lots of evidence to show that resistant starch, so this type of starch, um, does elicit those effects, those anti-inflammatory effects. Now, you're looking specifically at, you said pediatrics, so this is mm -hmm. child poop. It, are you, are, is this poop, this is obviously kids with IBD. Yep. 
Um, and is are you is this injunction with like a, a children's hospital in Ottawa or how are you getting this poop? Yeah, we have a, a pretty long-standing collaboration with the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario, so CHEO, uh, with Dr. Dave Mack, uh, who's sort of the, the head of that clinic, and he's helping to, um, I guess, orchestrate a lot of those uh, clinical components and the study designs and all of that. He's How a, he's long is this study supposed to be? Uh, well, it'll, you know, it'll last the entirety of my PhD, um, but the kids will be prescribed the what we predict to be the best starch for them based on their uh, poop responses um, for six months. So, and when you say prescribed, is like you mean in pill form, in diet form? Like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, the pharmacy right now there is uh, like tons of starch sitting on their floor, um, you know, hygienically and all that uh, that they put into little um, prescription bottles. Uh, and the patients literally get prescribed with starch. Huh. Yeah. This is sweet. Yeah. That definitely was a lot easier to understand before than what you said before. I know it was much longer than your sentence you said previously, but okay, totally. So your second year, so how long, um, how long is your PhD for what you're doing right now? The goal is four years. The goal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, PhDs often, especially in biomedical science, often last longer than that. Um, but, you know, I miss Vancouver and my family, so I'd like to finish. And yeah, and during this pandemic, you can't even visit. So I'm sure yeah. that doesn't help. Definitely so I, I don't know if you have an answer to this question, but I was just wondering, um, did you pick children for a reason? Um, or was this just a study that was interested um, to you? Was it something, was it like an offer that was given to you? Is there a connect? I'm just thinking you were diagnosed as a child, no? Serendipity. There yeah. are very few researchers studying IBD in Canada that are sufficiently funded to take on new students. There are very fewer that are also studying the microbiome. And one that is actually employing, you know, a, a clinical trial to actually see if we can manipulate the microbiome and uh, and improve IBD. Just, and that's you know, yours. And that's that. Yeah, exactly. So um, the fact that it's in kids, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm personally touched. I can relate because I was in that position. I would have been one of the kids that would be in this trial uh, had it been right. the right place at the right time. Um, so... No. And the rate of children that are being diagnosed is increasing. I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. the last report showed that it is the high, it's the, isn't it not the highest growing right now in terms of diagnosis? It's among them. Yeah. So for some yeah. reason, yeah, kids are being affected more than the rest of the population. And uh, yeah. And, and, you know, the sooner you're diagnosed, the more time you have to live with IBD as well mm -hmm. as have to suffer through all of the medications and accrue all of those costs. So, yeah, yeah, it's hard. Oh, well, I hope this works for the little people, what mm -hmm. you're doing, not just, you know, for their benefit, but also for your benefit. Um, so I started this episode by saying, here we are, we have, we have this guy who's an IPD warrior. Um, he has not only dedicated his life to IBD because he's been diagnosed with IBD, but literally he has dedicated his life and his studies. Uh, he's moved from beautiful BC to cold Ottawa uh, in order to benefit uh, IBD warriors um, 
And there's just some takeaways that I think are important to, you know, to, to pull out here. And these are some of the things that we discussed before, right? And stuff that we were looking at. And obviously the meeting new people, um, getting involved with CCC, like you and I met at a volunteer um, event that Crohn's and Colitis Canada was putting on specifically geared towards youth. Um, and now that I see how much you've dedicated, not just to IBD, but the youth with IBD, um, you know, the knowledge that is important as somebody who's been diagnosed with IBD. We, I've said over and over again that, you know, I say we need to be a, a, a VIP, a very informed patient. Um, don't just assume that your doctor is going to do the work for you. Uh, granted, they, sh they should be helpful. This is a team, but it is also your responsibility to educate yourself. Uh, you know, this is your life. This is your body. Um, try not to use Dr. Google. Uh, that gets us in a world places. Volunteering, getting involved, meeting new people, even if you don't want to take on some of the many roles that Peter and I have taken on, uh, go to the chapter meetings and just talk to people. Go to the chapter meetings and be a silent listener and just hear what others have to say. Don't to live in the dark. Don't be alone. Um, advocate for yourself. Tell your post-secondary institution. Tell your workplace uh, even if it's done in private, that, you know, you do have a chronic illness and that you do need to have supports put in place. Like, Peter, that when you said uh, you did your exams, I'm just picturing myself. I went to I went to my exams, I think I was in third year university. And I remember I went with an IV bag. So I was so ill at the time. I had home care. Uh, one of the many times I've had home care in my life. Yeah. I had an IV bag pump on the side. Had IV in my arm, and I'm literally sitting in an exam room with another, you know, 130 people spaced out, writing an exam with an IV in my arm. And I'm thinking, and of course, like, you know, university, you spent all this money, you're so stressed, and you're like, I have to be, you put these expectations on yourself, and then you, you like, there I was, with an IV covered up, be, wearing a big sweater so that people couldn't see it, obviously, because then they're going to be like, what's wrong with this girl? Uh, or at least that's what I thought in my head, you know, and then you say, moving forward, after you, you went to disability services, you had, you were in a room with a bathroom right there. You didn't have to ask somebody to escort you. Like, I can't even imagine how my life would have been different in university. Should I, had I had disclosed that information and got the help that I deserved, not that I needed, that I deserved. And, you know, uh, you raised that point. Um, that's the next project that I'm working on. Uh, it's again, really weird serendipity. Um, you know, you don't have enough on your plate, but yes, go ahead. Yeah. New project. At, uh, at my last chapter meeting at, uh, my Ottawa chapter, uh, just this past week, we had a, a new guest, um, and, uh, also uh, a graduate student, uh, at U Ottawa. Uh, and you know, we got talking and like electric, we have so much in common and we both recognize that there is this need, uh, for somehow, uh, helping students with IBD navigate, uh, university life. They don't know. It's, it's, I was ignorant. I did not know. I was also diagnosed when I was in university and, uh, you know, I've shared on previous episodes, my diagnosis was written on a piece of paper and I was told to Google what it meant. Um, I was not told that it was chronic illness. I thought I was sick. I had to take these pills six months and I thought, oh, okay, I must be really, really sick. And at the end of the six months, I will stop taking the pills and I'll be fine. Turns out at the end of the six months, I'm 
back at the doctor and they're writing another prescription for something else that I'm having a scope. And I'm like, excuse me, like everybody stop for a second, you know? And I did what you did. I didn't tell anybody. So it was my own ignorance. I did not know. And, you know, is there a responsibility in us as an IBD warrior to look for things? Yes. But it, I truly believe it's also the responsibility of organizations like universities and institutions, even things like CCC. This knowledge needs to be made aware. Doctors, RGIs, you know, it should be commonplace when you are told you have IBD or you're going, you know, moving into post-secondary or the workplace. You know, those rights should be told to us. We should be educated on these things. And then once we have that knowledge, it truly does become then with the balls in our court, we have to decide what we're going to do with it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know, right? We're all frustrated, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it. Yeah. Like, we need to tell. Why is there commercials on every day about this? Do you have IBD? Do you know that you can get disability services at your university? Like, why is that not on there? Like, don't universities have, like, you know, their own radio shows and websites? It should be there. And, you know, my, my last real, you know, key message would be someone has to do it, right? Someone has to, to advocate and get this ball rolling. So now speaking uh, of that, are you the only person in your lab currently with IBD? Uh, in my lab? Like where you're doing your PhD, like in the study that you're, you're working on? The, I am. Yeah, that's right. So you mean everybody looks at you as like all hail Peter? <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us everything you know. Uh, no, I well, I'm low on the totem pole, right? So, uh, or uh, I was low when I first got there. So, I was gonna say you've got to be climbing now. Your second year, you're getting your way yeah, up there. That's yeah, true. yeah, definitely. I'm sure you bring invaluable insight. I try. Yeah, you try. try. He's yeah. very timid. You can't see his face, guys, but I can tell he's a very valuable person. He's just being polite about things, you know. Um, so Peter, any, oh, by the way, I just wanted to point out. So before I actually, uh, met Peter, um, I guess we could say meet virtually meet, right? Like on our, on our, um, our youth summit that we did together. Um, I came across on Crohn's and Clytus, one of Crohn's and Clytus Canada's social media posts, a story, uh, a Lego story. Um, it was the Lego story. There's this little Lego man and they were, you know, there's a voiceover and this Lego man was talking about their journey with IBD. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like there's a Lego story about IBD. Um, little did I know, uh, that Peter is the Lego man. He <laughs> is the person who put together the Lego story. So not only is he smart when it comes to things like biology and microbiome and all of those things, but he's quite the artiste with a Lego story. So we're definitely going to post this Lego story on um, our Twitter and our Facebook account at Guts and Glory because um, it's quite brilliant and creative. How did you come up with this idea just before we go, by the way? <laughs> well, the Lego movie I, I loved and uh, I was looking for a way to promote the Gutsy Walk. So I figured... Oh, so that's what you used it for originally. It was for the Gutsy Walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, 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 makes sense, yes. Um, and tell us just also, I noticed the Pacer project. So can you tell us about that? Because I, I know Pacer, is it, it's mostly for the West Coast people, isn't it? Right now, I don't think it's, is it? Uh, yeah, so uh, Pacer is, Pacer, yeah, so, so Pacer mm -hmm. is, uh, it stands for Patient uh, and Community Engagement Research. 
And at the time I was asked or invited to join because it's uh, they were looking to study the lived experiences of people with IBD. And they were looking for people with IBD to conduct the research. And that's where Pacer sort of sh uh, shines. And now they have, I, I think, two or so projects that are being conducted in collaboration with Imagine. Um, yes. So, so I went through this program all virtually. Um, through Was the that through Calgary, the University of Calgary? University of Calgary, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, and it's it was a team project, about the equivalent of a, ma a master's degree, um, learning all of the, the fundamental and the theories of their, their types of research. And uh, we, we performed uh, interviews with uh, about 10 different people with IBD across Canada. Uh, we wrote up a report and we are it's currently in its sort of like final round of edits before we submit it to uh, to publish. So trying to get actually, the story. I mean, we've done some episodes um, mm. with like Imagine Spore and stuff. Like we talked to Dr. Moyetti about um, fecal transplant and we've had quite a few. We, I think we did three episodes with Imagine Spore and some of their interesting. And that's where I originally um, heard about Pacer and I met Sandra. Uh, Zelensky, mm. who's also a patient, I don't know what her official title is, but she's definitely involved uh, when it comes to those things. So yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, so you know her too. See, look at this. I, oh, that's another thing, guys. Like, you don't realize how small the IBD world is. It's actually quite large, but you also don't realize how small it is once you get start knowing people. And something that um, I noticed, I know when I started, I said you're in Ottawa. Obviously, our listeners would have figured out that you're in BC. You heard Peter mention that he was volunteering and he was a part of the chapters in BC. And now that he's been in Ottawa for a couple of years, if you didn't pick up on what he just said, he just talked about being volunteering with the Ottawa chapter. So I know our listeners who are internationally, you know, they're in many places around the world. There's a Crohn's and Colitis version of Crohn's and Colitis Canada. There's a Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. And then there, I know there's one in the UK and in Australia, et cetera. Um, so I know you're like for our Canadian listeners as well, like, you know, go onto the CCC website and find where your closest chapter is. One of the positives of being in a pandemic right now is that our chapter meetings are virtual. So even if you don't have a chapter in your region that's close by, uh, you can reach out to CCC and you can join another chapter meeting somewhere else in the country. Uh, like, you know, come on in. Like, uh, well, like you're welcome always. Uh, so that's definitely a positive to take from this. But, you know, as Peter and I both said, and as Peter has said very loudly, like it's it's important that you don't live alone with this illness. Um, and that, you know, we're, I, you know, I don't think either of us right now are saying that you need to go out and get your PhD in microbiology. Um, uh, we are super grateful that Peter has decided to do that because all research is good research. Uh, and, you know, it leads to some answers, even if that answer is this doesn't work and it's a dead end. It's an answer. And we know not to travel down that road again. Um, so I am, I am so grateful as an IBD warrior that you have decided to dedicate literally your life um, to this and that you bring such an extensive understanding. Um, I hope that this study that you're working on is successful. And I hope the littles that you are trying to help find find peace in their journey and find strength in their journey and I am so excited to see what you're going to do from here on out and I also feel no pressure but I feel like another Lego movie um is in order just saying a sequel okay perhaps 
Maybe, perhaps, you know, you know, I realize you're doing a lot right now, but I'm sure all of our listeners would love to see your next Lego movie, should you do one. But then I also feel once you start that, it's going to be like, you ha- you're going to have to continuously update us. It should never end. Like the Marvel movies, right? It should never end. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, before you go, Peter, is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners? Um, any other last messages? You know, uh, I guess... One thing I'd say is like I have a lot to a lot of people to thank and in specific too many to list, but Crohn's and Colitis Canada, and not to you know sound like a like I, I work for them, they have opened so many doors for me, and just by going to that first meeting, you know, it opened all of them. So um, too many benefits to count just to to get involved, meet other people, IBD, and. I agree. I always have to say things like, you know, I don't work for a consultation Canada. Like I'm just a volunteer, but I do the same thing as you. Like I'm, I am so fortunate for that organization, not just for what they're doing in terms of advocating for people with IBD and at the policy level and at the, you know, funding research, but just the, the, they gave me the opportunity to meet other people. They gave me the opportunity to meet you, for example, they gave me the opportunity, they gave me, once I started meeting people and, you know, my first public um, speech of living with IBD was I was the honorary chair uh, for the Gutsy Walk. And that was the first time I spoke in front of a group of people about living with IBD. That was my first public speaking moment. Um, clearly I have not stopped since then. Um, but you know, that was my first, that was my first experience with it. And if it wasn't for the chapter meetings that I had went to and the people I had met and the confidence that I was given, and then to be at a gutsy walk and standing up, you know, with a microphone in your face and you're looking at, you know, a few hundred people. And in some cases, more than that, depending on where you are. And you're either looking at people with IBD or you're looking at people who love somebody with IBD. You know, and just sharing your story, seeing people crying, I'm crying, you know, people afterwards coming up to you and saying, thank you for saying what you said. And like, you know, I know it's a dark time for you right now, but there is light at the end of this tunnel. Like just all of that. It was life changing, life changing. I had the same experience as a honorary chair. So there you go. Yeah. 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 So thank you, Crohn's and Colitis Canada. We love you. Um, And to, you know, this is an organization that is really run by its volunteers. So we say Crohn's and Colitis Canada, but that really goes out to all of our listeners who are volunteers and who are take part. Um, And please remember that you don't have to share your story. Just, just go somewhere and hear others so that you can slowly build that strength, you know? And, you know, if you want to do your PhD in something related to IBT, by all means, um, don't forget to apply to the Abbey Scholarship because there are options there for you. But yes, Peter, thank you so much for spending your time uh, with me today and for sharing your story. And thank you for dedicating your life to the betterment of us with IBD, um, especially the children. And I'm sure we will cross paths again, especially at the rate that your path winds around. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure we will collide once more, uh, with especially between Crohn's and Colitis Canada, and definitely have you back uh, once you once your study is like closing up, or some of these other things that you're waiting to release and final edits. Um, our listeners and I would be super interested in hearing how those things are going. So please keep us updated. Yeah, looking forward to it. And thank you very much for uh, for the chat. No, anytime. All right, everybody. Um, stay well, strength, and positive thoughts. 
Thanks for listening to Guts and Glory. This podcast is produced by Bang Albino Inc.